is to connect students with Jesus Christ and then to equip them to serve him throughout the church. And so I'm really encouraged to hear and to see what Christy is doing with her summer. I'm also encouraged, and I'm just going to call him up, is to see Chip Lim, who Chip was a student of mine when he was in high school at uh, Covenant Church in Cherry Hill. He was actually the first student who reached out to me when I became the youth pastor there, uh, sending me a Facebook message way back in the day. But it kind of highlights the connectivity of the Presbyterian Church, of God's church, and, and how these things work, that Christy, who grew up in this church, is now a student of Rowan, and I'm ministering to her, and Chip, who grew up uh, in Cherry Hill, um, and thankfully survived my ministry, uh, is here worshiping with you and being edified. But that's what we're about. That's what we hope. We're ministering to see students who don't know Christ come to know Christ and to grow in Christ in such a way that their faith will not just last as part of the club for three or four years that they're in school, but as lifelong disciples of Christ connected with his body of the church uh, to be the witness of Christ to the world. So praise God for the way that he just made an illustration easy for me today as we showed up. So we thank God for that. So as we will be studying through parables with our RUF group this fall, that's what I bring to you from God's Word today, uh, Jesus teaching on parables. And in Matthew chapter 13, he tells a parable and he explains why he teaches in parables. And so as we turn to God's Word from Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to read the first 16 verses. And if you're able, let me ask you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see, and to hear what you hear and did not hear. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. 
Thanks be to God. Father God, we thank you for your word and pray as it is brought to us through the preaching that what is from you would be remembered and treasured, that you would comfort us and convict us as needed. What is from you would be forgotten. We thank you for your word that is living and active, that is sharp and is able to pierce even to our heart, that we be made more like our Savior Jesus through the hearing of it, the active listening and engaging of it. Bless us in this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to think about parables, a parable is a story to make an announcement. And so I want you to think about the last time you had big news to share. And how did you share it in such a way that everyone who heard it understood exactly what you were saying? That's actually a preacher's task, isn't it? As I stand here, I look out and I see folks who are older and smarter and wiser than me. I see folks who are just a, a few years younger than me. I also see folks who are quite many years younger than me. I think it's really good for anyone who would endeavor to teach to have a young child and to try and make a concept simple that they could understand. Well, when you have good news to share, there's different ways you might do that. right? Sometimes when people have good news to share that they're pregnant and going to have a baby, they gather their friends and family together and they have a gender reveal party. And so one way that they make it so everybody knows what's going on is you smash a pinata or you cut a cape or whatever, and blue means boy and pink means girl. And everybody can get that. Well, Jesus comes with the best news in all of human history to share. And he shares it in a peculiar way, doesn't he? And in a way that actually prompts his disciples to say, what are you doing? Why aren't you just telling them what you are and what's going on? But Jesus shares it in a peculiar way because the way that he's announcing the kingdom of God and his presence bringing it through parables is a way that conceals the truth about the kingdom from those who would not hear it or not see it but also in a way that the Spirit gives insight and wisdom to his disciples, to those who would receive it, and who would hear it, and who would respond to it. And this is not on the basis of the merit of, of the hearer. It's on the merit of God's election and work in their lives. It's not something on their basis, but it's given to them by God. And so if you're here today and you say, I think I understand what Jesus is talking about, it's fully by the gift of God to understand the good news that he's sharing with us. Well, as we get into this parable and we look into what, what Jesus is doing, he's making a story or an illustration to place it along with this propositional truth, this good news that he wants to share and he has for us to know. It's an explanation of the good news through a story. It's a great way to help people understand and it's often started out saying, such a thing is life. It's kind of like if you've ever been in the car with a child or you've taught vacation Bible school and you've tried to explain the kingdom of God or something about Jesus or the gospel or even why the leaves turn green in the spring to a child, you've told parables. It's just like growing up when the tree begins to uh, release 
and its bud breaks forth and the sun shines. It's just like growing up and eating and growing. Well, you've told a parable. So why is Jesus telling parables? He's telling them to proclaim his inauguration of the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom. If you read all of chapter 13, you get a lot of stories about the kingdom of God. I think there's eight in total. What the kingdom is like, what its value is, what it takes to find it, what kind of people inhabit it. And so Jesus here is beginning it with the parable of the sower. But it's also that he uh, shares in parables to conceal or to hide. Why would God hide this truth? What kind of God would hide that? Well, finally, the uh, reason for him speaking in parables is to bring glory to God through the proclamation of his word. So three points that we'll consider about Jesus revealing the kingdom of God, this great news. First is to conceal the story. Secondly is to reveal it. And then finally, to give glory to God in the midst of it. First, we can look down in verse 10 through 12. We're going to really focus on Jesus' explanation to his disciples of why he taught in parables. And then we're going to look as an application through the parable of the sower and what that means for us. In verse 10, Jesus' disciples come to him and they're asking, all right, this is great news. We've left everything. We're following you. So why are you speaking so weirdly? But couldn't you cut the sermon time down a little bit? Maybe make it stick out longer. Maybe you need more stories. More more like you need a smoke machine in here, Jesus. Let's keep going. Yeah. No. <laughs> Somebody well, Jesus explains it to them. Uh, he said, they say, why do you speak to them in parables? And he says, it's been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. He's speaking here and taking these concepts that are beyond our grasp and trying to make them plain and understandable to us so that we can understand what he's saying. Uh, I use the example of when a child asks a parent a complex question and you speak in a parable to help it make sense in a way that they can understand it. Now, maybe they don't get the whole picture, but they understand. Maybe they can't spell photosynthesis, but they understand some of the process of why leaves start to turn green in the springtime, for example. You know, there's a process where you could just tell them everything, and you can launch into a scientific explanation, and by the time you get midway through it, they'll be asleep or on to the next thing, why is the sky blue? And now you're into another process, and you're totally out of your depth also. Well, Jesus says in parables to conceal the kingdom of God and to conceal a mystery. And that mystery that he's concealing is complexity of the secret of the kingdom of God, uh, a truth that's hidden in the word of God and revealed finally in God's announcement of his kingdom as Jesus gives it to his disciples. So he says, to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. He's not coming with a new message or a new knowledge or a new revelation. He's coming with something that God had been sharing since the Garden of Eden. And he's coming to make it known. These mysteries are the answer to what humanity has been searching for ever since the fall. Since we lost that presence with God and we lost that connection with each other and we've gone off our own way trying to make it work. But now, 
God is showing us through Christ the entryway into the kingdom is through Jesus. Through that seed that was promised that would come, that the serpent would bite, that he would crush the serpent's head. It's now here. Now standing before the crowds and speaking with authority. And yet the crowds are still not understanding it. These mysteries of the kingdom reveal they're not only spiritual, pertaining to personal salvation and afterlife, but also are ethical. That teaches how we are to live as God's people, what God expects of us. I'm teaching my son the shorter catechism. Now we've gone through the children's catechism and we're on to the shorter catechism. The shorter catechism asks, what do the scriptures principally teach? And the answer says it's what man is to believe about God and and what God requires of man. The ethical imperative of how we are supposed to live as God's people in a world that's blind to the truth of God and to his presence. Well, these principles are revealed in parables and then they're often seen in hindsight. Think about how many times you've heard a parable before you finally understand it. Now, oftentimes it takes some years and some wisdom and wisdom comes from mistakes. Where you go, why didn't I understand that before? And Jesus speaks these parables. And as he's telling these parables, he's speaking to a crowd that doesn't understand his message, but should have. Especially as he's talking about agriculture. He's talking about fishing. He's talking to farmers and to fishermen. And when he speaks those, then he's trying to make it plain to them in a way that they would understand. Uh, for example, Psalm 126 speaks of the perseverance of a sower with tears and with trouble as he plants a seed in his field. Uh, eventually trying to bring in the sheaves of the harvest. And that psalm, Psalm 126, is written in a time of Israel coming back out of captivity, back into the promised land to worship God and to dwell with him. It was not about farming, but about proclaiming the message of the kingdom at that stage of its development. It's about showing in God's program, uh, convincing the Jewish people to leave Babylon, where they were in exile, and maybe were in comfort, and to uncomfortably follow God's call to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. It was difficult because they were settled in their homes. And maybe they were happy, and maybe they had intermarried, and maybe they were wondering what God's promise would be anyway. But God calls them to do hard things follow in the kingdom of God. The challenge to hear the call and see beyond their field of vision and to walk in faith in the promised king. So we have that also to have the secrets of the kingdom revealed to you is a great blessing. As verse 16 points out, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. One of the things we do in our Bible study in RUF is we'll do first observation questions. We'll look at a text and we'll say, what are some key words or phrases that you see repeated here? One of the key words or phrases Jesus repeats here in this chapter is has to do with vision and it has to do with hearing. After he tells the parable of the sower, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. You also have the conviction of those who don't respond to the prophet from Isaiah, those who don't respond to Jesus, that they see but don't see. They hear but don't hear. <coughs> Repeated over and over again is this idea, or these words that help us to see that, that faith, that Christ
Christ, the message of the kingdom, is not just something to be thought or felt, but to be seen and to be heard and to be acted on and to be lived. And it's a blessing. As Jesus says in verse 17, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So Christian, the question for us today is, is it a blessing to have the secret of the kingdom revealed to you? Is it a blessing to know God? Is it a blessing to get up early on Sunday and show up at church? Or does it feel like a burden? Does it feel like a hardship that maybe I'd rather sleep in, or I'd rather run in the park, or I'd rather stay out late Saturday so that I can't get up early on Sunday? Or do you feel the joy and the privilege of being in God's house with God's people, hearing God's word, fellowshipping with God's spirit? It's a privilege to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, a privilege to know the way of Christ, to put to death sin, and to put on the life of Christ and to walk in new obedience. Do you delight in the law of the Lord to honor him in your life? Or would you rather chase after immediate things, fleeting pleasures, things that seem right in front of us? One student I met with this last year uh, came back and uh, came back to campus and told me, I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. What do you mean? I just don't think I... I know it's all true, but I just don't want to believe it. So my first question is, so what do you want? What do you want? And what he wanted was some immediate, visceral pleasures of life. He wanted to engage in the fraternity culture. He wanted to engage in being able to drink alcohol. He wanted to engage in trying to have sex. Putting these immediate things that are so in front of you, as a 19, 20, 21-year-old person and forsaking the kingdom of God and the blessing that stands before you for eternity in Christ. The great danger, the great temptation. But Jesus calls us to so much more. Jesus, I'm sorry, I messed up my outline here. I told you guys we we're going to talk about concealing and I've been talking about revealing. So just scratch that. <laughs> Jesus is revealing the blessing of the kingdom here to his disciples. But he also speaks in a way that would conceal it to those who would not receive it. Those who are not ready to take it. Uh, in verse 12 through 15, he speaks about this. It says, to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And he references the call of Isaiah to go and proclaim to Israel the word of the Lord, knowing, the Lord says, they will not respond. They will actually respond in greater rebellion, justifying their judgment. And so why is Jesus speaking in parables? First was to reveal to his disciples the great blessing of the kingdom of God, but also to conceal to those who would not follow what the kingdom of God is. This, these passages are difficult. They're difficult to understand. They're difficult to preach. To say, Jesus, the, the Son of God, the King of the universe, only reveals to some people the greatness of the kingdom of God. And to others, he actively conceals it. 
before half the people get up and walk out of the room and say, all right, he's concealing it from me, explain what's happening here. What's going on is the fulfillment of prophecy and the decreed will of God. And on the other hand, it's a revealing of gross rebellion and unbelief by people who, who should know better. Who, I mean, how often do you say, if only I could see Jesus, like, like Thomas the disciple, if I could just see him, if I could touch his hands, if, if he were right here, then I could really, really believe. Jesus says you're much blessed because you haven't seen him and yet you believe. But these people saw him. He was standing right in front of them, just as I'm standing in front of you. And they didn't get it. The responsibility for their unbelief is on those who disbelieve the word of God that's given to them. And the fact that God foreknows that they would do this doesn't absolve them of any guilt of it. So the use of parables fits right in the midst of this issue. It'd be really too easy to say the only way he, only reason he uses parables is to conceal the truth. But if that were his only desire, all he had to do was stop teaching. And he would do it. But Jesus was teaching about the kingdom. And he came with a mission to call people into the kingdom. So he uses parables as a way to teach the truth, to preach about the kingdom without casting his pearls before swine. It hardens those who are already hardened against him and enlightens his disciples about the kingdom. It challenges his hearers in the matter of faith. That word in verse 15, a Greek word, mipote, uh, lest they see with their eyes and turn, lest they hear with their ears. It helps us to see the significance of this quote of Isaiah 6 then, uh, in verse 14 and 15. The pattern of Jesus' answer is laid out in Hebrew poetry, a construction called a chiasm. And it starts, in a way, and it runs into the middle where it meets, and then comes back out. That highlights the meaning of the text. Um, I'll try not to be long about this or boring about it, but try and make it just highlight what's amazing about this. As Jesus says, I speak to them in parables, uh, because seeing... They see not, hearing they hear not, and fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. Hearing shall not hear and not understand. Seeing shall not see and perceive. His people's hearts are dull, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes, they have closed. Yet it comes out here in Isaiah 6, lest they should perceive with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn again, I would heal them. For many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The ordered arrangement of this in the prophetic call emphasizes the judgment of God on those who see and hear but do not see and hear. But also explodes for us the mercy and the grace of God for those who see and hear our need and reach out to God for it. That he sees us. He hears us. Jesus here pulls a distinction between the crowds who would use Jesus for their own gain and the disciples who know Jesus is their only way to have peace. That's the way judicial hardening works. The disciples follow Jesus by faith that he's the one who will heal them. They didn't understand everything, but they come to him and ask. Look in the text. It's not the crowd that comes to Jesus and asks. 
takes the story and goes off and maybe they're perplexed why he's talking about a sower. Maybe they think they understand it and they're okay with it. They didn't think to ask more. The disciples come and ask. I think there's a side point here to talk about our doubt and our questions. And that it's okay we can bring our doubt and questions to God. He can handle it. And that God actually even calls us and compels us to come to him. Jesus, what do you mean by this? What are you doing here? Not to be hardened in the way that we think to understand. This is how the prophetic message of Isaiah found its fullest meaning. The people had heard him preach and teach and seen his miracles. And yet, instead of receiving him, many of them accused him of satanic works and denied his word. Some of these people were hardened in their unbelief. And so yet we have to ask, how did they miss it? Did they miss it because they were dumb? Or maybe how might we miss it? Because the problem is these folks were looking for a certain kind of Messiah that God never promised Jesus would be. And Jesus is not that kind of Messiah. Some of these people were coming to Jesus looking for a political Messiah to make Israel great again. To throw off the Romans and to establish again the kingdom of David. And he was going to own the lids and really make the conservatives pay. They went away disappointed. If you're looking to Jesus to prop up your political party, you are going to be disappointed by the Jesus of the Bible, by the Jesus who is. There were others who came to Jesus because he had healed them, or they'd heard of a healing that he'd done, and, well, they could use some healing and maybe make them better. And so, what can I get out of Jesus? They came to him. And many of them went away disappointed. Because if you're looking to Jesus only for how he can serve you, or what he can do for you, or how he can make your life better now, you're going to be disappointed by the Jesus of the Bible, by the Jesus who is. Some of the crowd were coming because there was a crowd. We had an event on campus this last year where a hate preacher showed up and started preaching hate to everybody on campus. I mean everybody. Lumped me in with them all, too. And I was there at the beginning. We'd been tabling and uh, at the beginning, and I kind of heard him and went out there and was able to pull a few students off. But it was amazing to me. In a campus of 20,000 students at Rowan, uh, we have less than 200 students involved in any kind of evangelical Christian gathering on campus. And over 400 students were out counter-protesting this hate preacher. It's amazing how controversy can bring a crowd. And Jesus was drawing crowds to himself. And people will come. People will come for a crowd. But after the spectacle was over, they went away. And they went back to their ordinary life. And so if you come to Jesus just because of the crowd, you're going to be disappointed by the Jesus of the Bible, by the Jesus who is. In contrast, though, the disciples believed that this Jesus was the promised Messiah. That the kingdom of God was being inaugurated in him. He was the answer to Adam's sin. He is the one who's going to bring it. And they didn't fully understand it yet. And they wouldn't understand it until his resurrection. But they walked by faith. 
that God was fulfilling his promises in Jesus. I wonder what tradition you find yourself standing in today. You know, it may be easy for a skeptic to say, well, I'm willfully blind. Or maybe for a church-going Christian to say, I see and I get it, and amen, pastor. But Jesus doesn't let us off the hook that easily. Jesus invites all of us hearing the word from those who don't see the depths of the parables, even to those who think we understand, to get an insight into the kingdom of God. It's kind of a neat authorial trick here that God inspires Matthew to put in Jesus' explanation of the parable here. We didn't read it from verse 18 through 23, but it's in the text. And as we look at how God is glorified in Jesus' teaching and parables, we also see the application of what we ought to do with Jesus' teaching, how it impacts our life and what he means to tell us, particularly in the parable of the sower. It's amazing. You'd say, well, maybe I'm a part of the crowd, but aha, God included the answer in the text. And so to you, it has been revealed to understand the kingdom of God. You have eyes to see. You have ears to hear. You have a heart to call out to the Lord and seek healing, and he will heal you. And he does it through his word. Here's how it is. As it forms a sandwich around the explanation of Jesus' teaching, Jesus brings glory to God through the hearing of his word. As Jesus explains in verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. So let's look at that to understand why he's spoken parables and what this is to teach us. There's four types of hearers of God's word, as Jesus explained in this parable. The one who sows is God, and the seed is the word of God. And each type of soil is how the word of God then is received. There's a type of soil that is sown along the path in verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. This happens many times. I'm on campus. I'm speaking with a student uh, about the gospel, about Christ. And they either, sometimes I just get a blank stare. Or occasionally they'll talk with me for a while, but they're not ready to receive Christ, and so they'll go along with it. You have friends or family that have done that with you. This is a type of soil sown along the path. There's nothing that comes of it. That's okay, but it happens. There's soil that is, there's seed that is sown on rocky ground, which is verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Someone who receives the word and begins to follow Christ, and maybe they're baptized, and maybe they come to church, and maybe they go to church for 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years. But at the first sign of difficulty, they fall My great fear for the church in the United States is that many of us are that soil that's sown on rocky ground. That for the past hundred years or so in our culture has been very conductive to Judeo-Christian background and belief, and we've been able to blend in easily and not really to face any kind of trouble. 
But particularly the last 10 years, things have changed. It's a very different world. Christian business owners are now being sued for transgressing the orthodoxy of our culture. Are we prepared to pay a cost for following the Messiah? My great fear is that many of us have been sown on rocky ground. My challenge is to hear the word and to see it and to live it by faith in the promise of God. The third type of hearer is seed that is sown among thorns, which is verse 22. What is sown among thorns is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word, and it proves to be unfruitful. Those who appear to be Christians, maybe in churches regular, maybe leaders in the church, how often have we seen these stories recently of disgraced pastors and elders and leaders who have forsaken Christ to seek after the desires of the flesh or of riches? Are those things that are right before our eyes but forsake the kingdom of God and the eternal riches that await us. It hurts me because it hurts the witness of the kingdom. There's some that come and last for a while but then chase after other things. And it's so easy, I have to say, as, as a pastor, um, we're never going to be rich. A pastor should never be rich. Like You'll never see me in preacher sneakers on Instagram. Um, I saw a friend of mine, Sammy Rhodes, who's a campus minister in South Carolina, had a thing about that. And I was like, you know, sometimes I wonder about that, but I've been wearing the same <laughs> shoes from Kohl's, the $20 shoes I think I bought them 10 years ago. So who am I kidding? I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> but the deceitfulness of riches. One of my students told me, as I was talking to him about this text, he said, you know, I think this might be the greatest threat for us in the West, because... Christians in China who face state persecution or in the Middle East who are put to death or separated from their families for Christ, they really suffer and they get it. But man, there is so much wealth and privilege all over us. How easy it is to fall in trap into that. Finally, there's the seed that is sown in good soil. Verse 23 is what was sown on good soil is one who hears the word and understands it. And he bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and in another thirty. It's really amazing here, this kind of soil, the one, again, who hears, the one who understands, the one who sees the beauty of Christ and our need of Christ and comes to him and says, make of me what you will. I don't need to bear a hundredfold fruit. Maybe my purpose is to bear sixtyfold or thirtyfold. But every seed that is sown in good soil bears much fruit for the kingdom of God. Fruit born out in dedication to Christ. Fruit born out in witness and in love of Christ to the world and to neighbor. Fruit that's born out that others may see and say, that person has been with the Lord God. When you think about your life, what kind of seed, soil, you find yourself. The call of Christ today is to reveal to you to bear good fruit. Amazingly, God is glorified in all four kinds, both in judgment and in grace. So we're left with what kind of soil are we? And the call to us is to see and hear and to bear much fruit for God's glory. Would you pray with me?
God, we thank you for this day and for your word and for this time. We thank you for Jesus who came to inaugurate the kingdom of God on earth to bring rescue for sinners, salvation, and hope. And yet also, God, you give us work to do to bear good fruit, to share good news, to be about the work of your kingdom as you have gifted us and equipped us. Strengthen us. Enable us to be your people in this world for your purposes and your time. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.